My name is Jeff Durso, and this is Founder Breakthroughs. Today, we discuss a pretty controversial topic. In the ongoing debate on what leads to success between luck and pretty much everything else, for startups, the short answer is luck. Luck wins the day. Now, on the surface, this might seem like bad news. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you prepare, no matter how great your attitude is, at the end of the day, it still ends up being mostly about luck. But there's a silver lining to this. Once you understand and accept that luck drives pretty much everything in the startup world, you can turn the tables and turn luck into a superpower. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. Stick around and you'll learn about how luck works for startups and how you can stack the deck to bring more luck into yours. Now let's dive right in. Now, before we talk about startups and how luck relates there, let's talk a little bit about VCs or venture capitalists to get a better understanding of it. So venture capitalists are famous for placing, say, 20 bets on 20 different companies, knowing that most of these, like literally 80% of them, are going to completely fail. So that means that when they write a check to those companies, they expect to get $0 back from those companies. Now, beyond that, they probably expect another, call it 10 to 15% of these companies to maybe eke out a small win or make a little bit of money, but nothing to pop champagne over. So think about that. Out of 20 bets, they probably expect 19 of them to either completely fail or go nowhere really exciting. But in that portfolio, they're hoping that 5% or 1 in 20 bets gets lucky or gets really lucky. Now, on the surface, this sounds a little bit crazy, but that's only because of how we're wired to think about risk. So as humans, we think linearly. So when I said 20 bets before, what you pictured in your mind was 20 coin tosses, and you thought about win or lose as the outcome of each of those coin tosses. Now that would be symmetrical risk, where it feels like the upside and the downside are roughly equivalent. And in the VC example I just gave, that would be an absolute disaster. Imagine if you flipped 20 coins where you got a win or a loss, depending on heads or tails, and you were maybe getting one win out of those 20. That would be absolutely ridiculous. But VCs aren't idiots. In fact, they're often some of the smartest people in the world. And the other thing is they're not lazy either. So it's, it's not like they didn't have you know, more time or more resources to look into these companies to figure out those companies that failed. It's not, it's not like they could have spent more time to have a better outcome. So for every one of these investments that they make, they've listened to a ton of pitches and they, they often brag about this, right? So they listen to maybe a thousand pitches and they narrow that down to a hundred and then they narrow it down to 10 and maybe they make a few bets. So when you think about that, that's a lot of work to get to these diamonds in the rough, um, the diamonds in the rough that then turn into uh, you know, mostly roadkill, as we said before. So within each of those pitches, they're going to do real deep due diligence to make sure they're placing a good bet. And then even then, like I said before, they're only expecting one to two out of 20 of these to become hits. So what's going on here? Well, the key is to understand that each of those bets has asymmetrical risk. So in other words, if a VC puts $500,000 into a startup, the most that VC can lose on that bet is $500,000. But the upside goes way beyond $500,000, right? 
So again, as humans, we tend to be stuck in this linear thinking. So when I say way more, even then you're wired to think, well, way more. So maybe, maybe they get twice that. Maybe they get a million, maybe they get three times that million and a half, or maybe even five times return, right? Two and a half million dollars, which would be great. But again, nature doesn't work linearly. Nature works on something called the power distribution, which means winning isn't slightly better than losing. It can be orders of magnitude better. So as an extreme example, Let's look at Peter Thiel, who famously became the first investor in Facebook with a $500,000 check. Now, his return on that check wasn't 2x or 5x or 10x or even 100x. It was around 1,000 times. So think about that. His $500,000 check turned into about $500 million. And the reason it only turned into $500 million is because he sold out too early. I think he cashed in most of his shares right before the company went public. If he had just kept his shares, he could have made a 5,000 times return or more. But, you know, obviously, let's not be greedy. A thousand times return is pretty good. And, you know, even so, the lesson here is clear. So VCs make their money knowing that one grand slam out of 20 bets, way more than makes up for all of those other losses and delivers a huge overall return on their portfolio. So that's the game they're playing. Now, that's great for the VCs. But that actually brings some sobering realities to founders. First off, as much as it seems like founders are aligned with their investors because they both obviously want success at the end of the day, they aren't really fully aligned in reality. Think about it. For a founder, a 10x or a 20x return could lead to life-changing money. I mean, in some cases, it could be generational wealth kind of money. And for a VC, that same outcome would be considered a failure. So this often creates a lot of tension, and I've heard more than a few stories of founders that had to turn down acquisition offers for their startups that would have given them massive wealth because the VC wanted to keep going and swing harder for the fences. And then what would happen in in some of these cases is maybe the market shifts and the companies go out of business. The founders lose everything. Now, obviously, the VC loses their bet too, but that was part of their, their expectation and their portfolio, right? But for the founder... That literally means they had an offer on the table that could have been, you know, generational style wealth, and they had to keep going because of the pressure that the VC put on them. And now they've lost everything. So obviously it doesn't give any consolation to a startup founder to know that the VCs are going to make it up on their other portfolio bets, right? If if you're in one of those 19 boats that sinks, that doesn't do you any good to know that uh, the 20th one uh, succeeded or succeeded wildly. So the question is though, How can startup founders use the same principles of luck to benefit their own growth? And the good news is not only can startup founders leverage the same asymmetrical property of risk to their advantage, in reality, it's literally the most important function of a startup founder to do this. It's literally our job. And when you stop focusing on making everything perfect and you focus instead on placing as many bets as you can, you can maximize your luck and improve your odds of success. Now, I'm sure you've heard of something called the 80-20 rule or Pareto's law that states that 80% of the value usually comes from 20% of the work in any system. Now, for example, this plays out in sales teams where 20% of the sales reps are often making 80% or more of the sales. And sometimes it plays out with customers where the top 20% of your customers might account for 80% of the revenue in the business. We see this 80-20 rule almost everywhere. And for startups, the 80-20 rule is critical. 
since good enough, or 80% of the value that you can unlock with that 20% of effort, is usually enough to test if something will work or not, right, to validate it. Let's dive into a real example. So in one of my startups, uh, DestinationWeddings.com, here are all the marketing methods that I tried when I was building that business. So first off, there was advertising in online bridal magazines. Uh, Makes sense, right? The second one was uh, bridal shows. So going to bridal shows to try and get, get clients. The third one was partnering with other wedding vendors who are non-competitive. Makes sense, right? And then the fourth one is uh, Google pay-per-click advertising. Now, think about this on the surface. All of those seem like pretty good bets. It's not obvious uh, which of those would become the, the killer vehicle right, for growing the company. And the standard or big company or non-80-20 approach would be to pick one of those and go really deep until you get to the gold. So maybe you pick the bridal magazines or the bridal shows and you go all the way down that path. Now, fortunately for us, we took the startup approach instead. Again, even though all of those seemed like legitimate avenues, something seeming good wasn't going to put us into business. We needed to figure out which of those was going to win and we needed to do it fast. So rather than go deep down each, we dipped our toe in each of those paths and tested and we did it fast. Interestingly, the results looked a lot like that VC portfolio of bets we talked about before. So first off, when we did advertising in online bridal magazines, it was a complete flop. I mean, a complete flop, which was kind of surprising. So think about it. We were selling a wedding service, advertising to brides, and we got almost no interest at all, like literally crickets. So much like VCs don't make stupid bets, Our bet on these magazines wasn't exactly a stupid bet. It made sense on the surface, but in the end, it was a complete failure. Okay, so let's talk about bridal shows. Another seemingly good bet, hanging out in a booth at a show where hundreds of potential customers are literally walking by all day and reading about what you do and seeing pictures of it makes sense. Another complete failure. (laughs) In that case, a lot of these brides would come by, look at the booth and say, oh, geez, I wish I had thought of that before. But that was it. No leads, no customers. Another failed bet. What about partnering with other wedding vendors? Again, seems like a good bet on the surface. And we had some fantastic calls uh, where when we talked with these partners, we it was just so exciting. We were talking about all the amazing things we were going to do together. And again, complete flop. After those calls that we'd have with these partners, nothing would ever come to fruition. It was just a complete waste of time. So how about Google pay-per-click advertising? We rode that one past $50 million in sales. Think about that. So we got lucky, real lucky, but purposefully lucky. Now, if we had just persevered and really pushed hard on making the online bridal magazines work, we could have eventually uh, wasted all of our time and lost the business in the process. Now, instead, we realized that we didn't know which of these uh, methods would work And so we placed a lot of little bets, knowing that the downside of each of these bets would be fixed, but the upside would be potentially limitless, which is actually what turned out in our case. And we applied that same thinking across the rest of the business too, trying to test as many different ideas as possible rather than being stubborn and going too deep on any one. Now, it's really easy as founders to get super excited about one idea or tactic and go all in on that. Like for me, for instance, the bridal magazines, I was like, how could this possibly fail? I was so excited about putting those ads and it was kind of a shock and surprise that they didn't work. But again, the better approach is to realize that our job is to validate and test our ideas and figure out which of those is the right one. Our job is to get lucky. 
And to do that, we have to think like those VCs and place many bets without being emotionally attached to any of them. 80-20 is the mentality we need to take. If we do that right, we can effectively hack luck and bring lots more of it into our startup. And that luck can make all the difference. So the key distinction is scaling companies and larger companies build value by going deeper into things that are validated and making them work better and better over time. This is what Steve Jobs used to call polishing rocks, right? So taking something that works and continuing to optimize it over time to get more and more value out of it. And what's interesting is that obviously there's a lot of value in this 80-20 line, right? Where you put the 20% effort and get to that 80%. But if you go way beyond that, eventually you get to another huge pocket of value that can also be unlocked. But the thing is, that pocket of value doesn't happen until way after that 80-20 line. So you have to be willing to put a lot of resources to get there. Think about the iPhone versus flip phones, for example. Flip phones were certainly the 80-20 solution, and iPhone was the all-the-way solution. Now, once Apple was willing to go all the way with the iPhone, they crushed the flip phone market. So it's really important to understand that there is another pocket of value that you get to way past 80-20, but... For startups, we generally can't afford to go way past that 80-20 line to get to that deep pot of value. So for us, the better bet is to play 80-20. Now, startups first have to discover value before they can build on it. So founders need to be like those VCs, placing lots of bets and validating which of those work and which of them don't. Since these bets have much higher upside than downside risk, then the game is literally about how many at-bats you can get versus how well you swing at each of them. And this applies to all aspects of your startup. Which pain points you think your customer has are minor inconveniences versus which turn out to be major headaches? Which marketing channels are completely useless versus those that can take you to the moon? It applies to your strategy, your messaging, your tactics, your everything. And once you realize this, you can stop aiming for perfection and instead set yourself up to get lucky in all of these areas. All right, well, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you find that everything being about luck is not really bad news. It's actually quite liberating as long as you know how to flip the script on it, which is what we talked about today. Once you accept this, like the VCs have, you can focus your startup efforts on setting yourself up to maximize luck in every part of your business. Now, remember to spread the word and join us again for next week's episode where I'm going to be interviewing a founder who has mastered the principles we talked about today to build an extremely successful, fast-growing startup. I'll see you next time.